reading this morning is various verses taken from chapter 5 in the book of Daniel, which is located in your bulletin and in our church Bibles on page 742. Please stand if you are able as we read from the Old Testament. For a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. That the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels and drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. You have praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, or hear, or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikal. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. 
and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads and pray. From the beginning of our worship service, Lord, we have celebrated the gift of your word to us. We've confessed that we find in it the revelation of your glory and our salvation. Now it's about to be preached. Please, I pray, your blessing on the proclamation of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hard to believe, but... Christmas 2016 and everything that came with it, the carols, the Advent wreath, the readings from the Gospels about the birth of Jesus, the Advent-themed sermons, they're all history. It's a new year, literally, which means we're done with Worship the King, and we're back to Daniel Among the Lions. The sermon series based on the book of Daniel, which we started last October and set aside to focus on Advent and Christmas for the past five weeks. The last time we looked at Daniel, we were in chapter 4, which ends with a humbled Nebuchadnezzar exclaiming, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because he's able to humble those who walk in pride. The once proud king who had boasted, I built the great Babylon by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty, was singing a different song after God took him down a couple of notches. Instead of boasting, I am my own master and I am an independent agent, he honored and glorified the Most High who lives forever by acknowledging he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? In stark contrast to this, though, today's text, Daniel 5, opens with King Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, technically his grandson, mocking, taunting, and dishonoring the same Most High by brazenly swilling wine from the gold and silver goblets which his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. In effect saying, though Nebuchadnezzar said that the Most High does as he pleases, I say, I am my own Most High. Belshazzar will do as he pleases. All of which makes understanding Daniel 5 a great way for us to start our new year. So let's explore Belshazzar's story under these four headings. Belshazzar's problem, his predicament, his plight, and his parallel. Problem, predicament, plight, and parallel. Let's begin. Our chapter opens with the king giving a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drinking wine with them, which right away tells us something about Belshazzar's character and priorities. 
if Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant, severe, creative, commanding, and demanding ruler whose reign was marked with epic military and civic achievements, then Belshazzar was, in contrast, a weak, indifferent, second-rate ruler who accomplished nothing notable during his reign, preferred to curry the favor of his royal retinue rather than command their obedience, and was a hedonist at heart. And therein lies his problem. As much as Nebuchadnezzar lived for power, Belshazzar and his peers lived for pleasure. As much as Nebuchadnezzar ordered his nobles to fall down and worship an image of himself that he had set up in his own honor, Belshazzar invited the nobles of his generation to party hardy at his palace in keeping with their self-indulgent pleasure-seeking lifestyles. As our text makes plain, after immodestly drinking wine in front of the thousand, as our ESV translation puts it, Belshazzar commanded, probably while intoxicated, that the vessels of gold and of silver taken out of the temple in Jerusalem by his father be brought to him so that he and his lords, his wives, and his concubines could drink from them. Now, the vessels in question were plundered from the temple of God when Nebuchadnezzar besieged and conquered Jerusalem some 60 years before. And then they were accorded the highest possible honor. In a tacit acknowledgement that they were set apart and sacred, Nebuchadnezzar carried them to Babylon and deposited them carefully into the treasury of his God's temple. But by flippantly commanding that they be brought to him, Belshazzar was making a mockery of both Nebuchadnezzar's God and the Most High God, for whom they were originally crafted, to whom they were originally dedicated, and whose temple they were originally put to sacred use. His plan to misuse them, his plan, I say, because the idea seems to have been premeditated and his subsequent behavior was a repudiation of Israel's God, of his standards and the self-restraint of God's people. You know, did God command exclusive worship and humble devotion? Well then, pagan deities and wild living would be Belshazzar's calling cards. Did God frown on promiscuity and profligacy and decadence? Well then, he and his peers would spend their time in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and idolatry. Which is why he and his fellow partiers began to praise the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone while they drank their wine. You know, the list of gods isn't an incidental one. Though these deities may have been lesser gods in the pantheon of Babylonian gods, they were the gods to whom Belshazzar and his entourage were sincerely devoted. They believed, they really believed that life was to be found in them. That somehow, by possessing precious metals like gold and silver, 
and practical metals like iron and bronze and stones that could be polished and fashioned into jewelry and exotic wood with which to panel and furnish their homes and then flaunting all of these things. Well, by that, they believed that they had standing and status and satisfaction, that they were validated, that they could enjoy well-being. Belshazzar and his generation were materialists. They were preoccupied with stuff. And they were materialistic, obsessively focused on wealth and its accumulation, on leisure, on luxury and entertainment, all in barefaced, blatant rejection of what they'd heard from the Jewish exiles in their country and the Jewish wise men in their employ. Man, they'd been told, does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up because a stone can't give guidance, though it might be covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. Does any of this have a familiar ring to it? It should. It should because Belshazzar's problem and that of his generation is a problem for many, maybe even most, of us. Like them, we are a nation of materialists. Oh, we might not lift our cups to the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, but we sure do sing the praises, extol the accomplishments, and glorify the lives of the wizards of finance and the titans of industry and the CEOs of business and the celebrities of our silver screens. Hail Jeff Bezos. Hail Steve Jobs. Hail Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Oprah Winfrey. Praise gold. Praise gadgets. Praise science and technology. Praise smartphones and streaming video. Praise sleek and sexy. Praise fast and furious. Praise more and better. Praise new and improved. Praise luxury and name brands. Praise Apple, Google, Amazon, Yahoo, and ESPN. See, our right to pursue happiness, by which John Locke meant the thoughtful pursuit of civic responsibility, when he coined the phrase in the 17th century, has come to mean the unbridled pursuit of personal pleasure for us. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy summed up the situation in a 2005 lecture when he said that happiness in recent years has become a synonym for hedonism, the belief that pleasure is the highest good and maximizing pleasure is the highest aim of human life. Whereas... In previous centuries, it stood for the dignity one acquired by contributing to the betterment of one's community and to its civic life. 
in the context of the Declaration of Independence, he noted, happiness was about an individual's contribution to society rather than the pursuit of self-gratification. We've reached a tipping point, someone else said. Do we believe in anything that's more important than ourselves anymore? Or has self-interest become our basic resting pulse? Now, if Justice Kennedy's claim is accurate, and I think it is, then we're in danger because a preoccupation with pleasure and self-gratification has consequences as illustrated by Belshazzar's story. Read it carefully and you'll hear Daniel say that his materialism eroded his strength. It corrupted his character and reduced him in the eyes of others. The queen as much as says, get a grip, Belshazzar, be a man, when she strides into the banquet hall. It blinded him to reality. He didn't know the Medes and the Persians were at the gates of his city. And it left him unprepared for a confrontation with the Lord who is God over all of the elements. When God had finally had enough of Belshazzar and that generation and decided to show himself to them. You know, commentators note that Nebuchadnezzar may have been distressed and disturbed by the dreams and visions that God dropped into his sleep. But his face never turned pale. His legs didn't become weak and his knees did not knock when he was confronted by God and God's agents. Belshazzar, though, completely lost it. When God made a hand appear which wrote ominous words on the plaster of the wall near the lamp stand in his royal palace. It must have been an embarrassing moment, one commentator observed, for the king to be standing in a puddle of urine while dressed in his royal robes. But a life of self-indulgence will do that to you. The pursuit of pleasure and its consequences. That was Belshazzar's problem, and it is a big problem for us, too. And his predicament? What was that? Just this. It didn't have to be that way with him. It didn't have to be that way because, as Daniel pointedly reminded Belshazzar when he was summoned to read and interpret the writing on the wall, Belshazzar was aware of a radically different way to live based on a radically different regard for God and a radically different value system thanks to the radical life and witness of his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Your majesty began Daniel, after bluntly telling him to keep your gifts and give the rewards you're offering for reading the writing to someone else. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor, the very things you've been trying to get from your gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal until 
he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Though you knew all of this, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, it turns out, happened to him as an example for the sake of Belshazzar and others and was written down as a warning to Belshazzar and others. His letter about his experience as recorded in Daniel 4 having been addressed to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, would have been required reading for his successors. Which means Belshazzar should have, could have known better than to lift himself up against the Lord of heaven based on what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he lifted himself up against the Lord of heaven. He should have learned valuable life lessons from the accounts of Nebuchadnezzar's many dealings with the God of Israel. Should have been circumspect about the durability and shelf life of his kingdom. Given the dream of a statue which represented a succession of empires and kingdoms. He should have been moved to reverent fear of the God who rescued the fabled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a blazing furnace. He should have been put on red alert for any hint of pride, vanity, self-reliance, self-congratulations, and self-seeking by Nebuchadnezzar's plunge into madness. His exclusion from the company of men and his dramatic return to sanity when he finally raised his eyes to heaven. He should have, but he didn't. Instead, as Ronald Wallace observed in his commentary on the book of Daniel, the dramatic story of the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar had no apparent relevance to Belshazzar. Instead of continuing Nebuchadnezzar's practice of treating the temple vessels with respect, he purposed to defile them. Instead of praising the Most High and glorifying him who lives forever, he lifted himself up against the Lord of heaven. Instead of honoring him, he praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. You have not honored the God in whose hand is your breath and all your ways. Daniel intoned. Which moves the question. Given our vulnerability to the materialism which plagued Belshazzar and is rampant in our culture, is his predicament your predicament as well? Now, what I mean is this. Has God dropped a Nebuchadnezzar into your life? A parent or grandparent, a brother, sister, spouse, friend, co-worker, acquaintance, whose story should incline you to honor God with your life, but whom you're ignoring, whom maybe you're mocking Have you crossed paths with anyone or read about anyone or been told about anyone 
who was a lover of self, of money, of stuff, of pleasure, and not a lover of God, who lacked self-control, who was boastful, proud, ungrateful, and unholy, who nevertheless turned from all of these things when he heard about the God of Israel, turned to him, surrendered to his love, experienced his mercy, and decided not to live the rest of his or her life for evil human desires, but instead decided to live for the will of God in order to serve the living and true God? Have you ever crossed paths with anyone like that? If so, you are without excuse if you do not honor God. If so, I hope you're not doing as Belshazzar did by refusing to consider their accounts of how God's grace changed them. I hope instead that you're opening your heart to their testimonies. You're making room for their words and stories. You're allowing their reports to take root in you and take hold of you so that you lift your eyes toward heaven like Nebuchadnezzar did and are restored to spiritual sanity instead of continuing to lift yourself up against the Lord of heaven as Belshazzar did. And if you've never crossed paths with anyone like that, well, you have now because you've heard about Nebuchadnezzar and, well, I'm that man. And you're sitting in a room full of others who, like me, are ready to tell you that at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He saved us, like he saved Nebuchadnezzar and Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Mary, Matthew, Peter, Paul, James, countless other Bible characters and millions and millions of others throughout history. And he can save you too. So has God dropped someone into your life who bears witness to his holiness and his love, his power and his kindness? Someone whose life testifies to God's mercy and his reasonable, righteous demand for exclusive devotion? Well then, listen to him. Listen to her and follow their example. Because if you don't, you'll end up sharing Belshazzar's plight as well as his problem and his predicament. You will be tried as he was. You will be found wanting as he was. And you will be judged as he was. In Belshazzar's case, that happened when the fingers of a human hand appeared suddenly and wrote words on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand of the royal palace. A hand, as Daniel told him, which was sent from the presence of God whom you have not honored. And these are the words that the hand inscribed on your wall. He continued, Mene, 
which can mean both counted and finished. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, which means weighed. He has weighed you on the scales and found you wanting. And Perez, which means both divided and Persia. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And as we heard Jamie read a few minutes ago, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom, being about 62 years of age. And for us, well, should we expect the appearance of hands that foretell our doom by writing words on the walls of our homes? We shouldn't. We don't need to. We don't need to because God has in the past already sent numerous hands which wrote the same or similar verdicts and words of judgment about us which we can read and which we need to take seriously. Not on palace walls but on tablets of stone and on sacred scrolls and pieces of parchment in the word of God. Like the time he himself inscribed the Ten Commandments onto two stone tablets with his finger and then moved the hand of Moses to record the penalty for disobeying them. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law which are written in this book, Moses wrote, and you do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. For the time he commanded the prophet Isaiah to write, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We're all shriveled up like a leaf. Like the wind, our sins sweep us away. For the time he commanded his apostle Paul to put pen to paper and write, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mene, Tekel, Perez, our days are numbered. We have been found wanting. And our kingdoms, such as they are, will be taken away from us. Without warning for those who are still around on the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace, safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. And they will not escape. Unless they, unless we hear and heed Nebuchadnezzar's testimony and the testimonies of others like him, whom the Lord has dropped into our lives. If we do, we will not only share in Belshazzar's problem and predicament and plight, we'll also share in his parallel, by which I mean his counterpart. I, I needed another P. Not another king of Babylon, but the king of the universe. The very king of kings and lord of lords whose birth we celebrated this Sunday. Jesus, a son of Mary. You know, this king, unlike Belshazzar, unlike all other kings, never ever 
lifted himself up against the Lord of heaven. Instead, he came down from heaven in glad obedience to the Lord of heaven to do the will of the one who sent him, even when that will was for him to deny himself and drink another cup, the cup of God's wrath, which we deserved for our hedonism and its consequences. Once here, this king never failed to honor God, but only did what he saw God doing and only said what he heard God saying. Like Belshazzar, this king banqueted plenty, but with tax collectors and sinners, not nobles. And he ate and drank enough at these banquets for some religious types to say he's a glutton and a drunkard. So he wasn't an austere ascetic any more than he was a pleasure-seeking hedonist. And he talked a lot about a future banquet too, a banquet in the kingdom of heaven, which he himself was going to prepare. It would be a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines, a banquet to which many would come from the east and the west, where they would all recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Belshazzar's banquet was kicked into high gear when he and his guests unceremoniously gulped wine out of temple vessels which years before had been used for the drink offering that accompanied the daily sacrifice in Jerusalem's temple. But this Jesus, this king's heavenly banquet, got its start when he quietly offered wine to a ragtag bunch of disciples from a cup called Elijah's Cup cup to which Jews heralded the event of the Messiah, about which Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from it again until that day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. See, like Belshazzar, like all of us, it turns out this king pursued pleasure too. But his pleasure was to surrender himself to God and to offer up his life as a sacrifice for all who would believe in him. And for the pleasure that was set before him, he set aside present pleasure in order to endure the cross, scorning its shame and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, that king was Daniel's Lord. And he became Nebuchadnezzar's Lord. Today, make him your Lord to escape the fate of Belshazzar, to honor him with your life, and to secure a place for yourself at the banquet of the Lamb of God. Let's pray. Your word corrects and rebukes. And Belshazzar's story has done a great job of that. But it encourages and builds up too. And the story of Jesus does that for us. Write the story of Jesus onto our hearts this year, Lord, so that we do not lift up our hands against you, but rather honor you. So that we don't praise false gods, but only and always praise you, the one true, living, most high God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Amen.